Welcome to Vaginas, Vulvas, and Vibrators with Jordan Donnell. This is a safe place to learn about women's health and sexual wellness. I'm your host, Jordan Donnell, physician assistant, women's sexual health educator, and intimacy coach. On today's podcast, we are talking about vaginismus, which is a cause of dyspnea or pain with intercourse. I've done some podcasts about pain with intercourse and pelvic pain and things like that, but we're getting really specific on vaginismus here today and looking at symptomatic treatment for women who are experiencing this. There is a lot of good information in this episode, so I hope you enjoy. If you are listening real time, I want to share with you about the Get the Sex You Desire holiday special. This program has been so helpful for so many of the women in my community that I want to make sure that more of you can access it. So this holiday season, it is 50% off for everyone. Get the Sex You Desire helps you have better sex more often. Joining me today is Tracy McNeil who is a healthcare executive with a specialty in commercializing medical devices. Tracy is the president and CEO of Moderna Medical, a novel OBGYN platform company that defines a $6 billion market in the most common pelvic conditions women face. Tracy is an engineer by trade, and I am just so excited to chat with her more about this topic. All right, Tracy. So I am excited to chat with you more about vaginismus. This is something that I've brought up on prior podcasts, but actually never had a really in-depth conversation about it. So I'd love to just kind of open the floor and start with what exactly is vaginismus? Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm great. I'm really happy to be here and happy to have the opportunity to talk about this because most people who have vaginismus have never heard of it and don't know that it's quite common. And so we're definitely trying to get the word out so that people who have it can get treated. So vaginismus is a high tone pelvic floor disorder, an overactive pelvic floor disorder. Essentially, the pelvic floor is in a circle. So as as those muscles become involuntarily contracted, penetration becomes painful or impossible. So the symptoms of vaginismus would be painful intercourse or pain during any kind of wanted penetration, whether that's a tampon or pelvic exam. And it is characterized often by anxiety as well, not necessarily general anxiety, but the kind of anxiety that if you know something's going to hurt, you tense up. And that's really what it is. And so the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists, ACOG, they estimate that anywhere between 5 and 17% of women have vaginismus at some point in their lives. That's a big range, 5 to 17%. So I can talk more about what I think is driving that <laughs> range, but I'll pause there if you have any questions about what vaginismus is. Yeah, no, I love that you kind of define that for us. I'm curious if you find that vaginismus is highly associated with trauma. It's interesting. When I sit down at a table with multiple women, I would say, and when, and I just want to make a note about gender pronouns, I'm going to use women, but what I mean is women bodied people who identify as women, people with vaginas, everyone is included. It's a complicated space for us because 
nobody like a lot of people don't like the word vaginas, but anyway, that's what I mean. I'm just going to use women, but please forgive me. I'm working on my gender inclusivity. But what I found is if I sit down at a table with five women, they may start with, I've never heard of vaginismus. That's not me. All of them. By the end of the conversation, at least half of them, if not more, are either, oh my gosh, that's me and I had no idea, or it's my daughter or my sister or my girlfriend. Or So I do think it's quite common. Trauma is certainly one of the categories. So sexual assault, I see numbers anywhere from one in four to one in six women are survivors of sexual assault. And that can be a very traumatic, I mean, obviously that's an incredibly traumatic experience. And so it can become something that echoes in the body in the form of vaginismus. And so we, we have a product to help relieve the symptoms of vaginismus. We can talk about that later. But yes, I do think that a lot of the causes of the primary causes of the pelvic pain do end up being rather traumatic for people if they become chronic, whatever the source was. Did I answer your specific question? Yeah. Yeah. What are some other causes of vaginismus outside of trauma? Well, I think that the first group that people often think about, at least the way it's taught in medical school, if it's taught at all, which mostly it isn't, which is a bit unfortunate, it's often referring to what I would consider to be relatively less common primary vaginismus. So just from a young age, she can't get a tampon in and nobody knows why and nothing bad happened. It's just that those muscles are chronically tight the way maybe some people's neck you know, you get the chronic neck spasm, like these things can happen. But I would say the more it's more common, vaginismus is more common as a secondary condition. So there was some other thing going on, whether it's sexual assault as the primary issue or other, I would say the biggest groups are menopause. So the tissue is drier, the tissue is thinner, sex starts to hurt, and then you can end up with this chronic contraction of anticipating the pain. And then you have on top of the dryness and the thinning tissue, you also have a size problem. Other groups would be cancer survivors. So patients often have radiation delivered vaginally, so that can damage the tissue. And often chemotherapy puts patients into a sudden menopause. So they have all the same issues on top of all of the trauma of going through cancer treatment, cancer diagnosis and treatment, right? There may also be some emotional issues there. So it would be pretty normal for patients like that to end up with a chronic pelvic floor contraction. Moving on to how this ends up to be up to 17% of people, of women. So also at any given time, there's about a million women in the United States recovering from childbirth injuries. So it'd be normal to have pain postpartum, painful sex postpartum, and return to intercourse is usually kind of a big deal for people who've given birth vaginally or even with C-sections, depending on what their birth experience was like. And so certainly you can end up with some vaginismus after childbirth injuries. And then you have endometriosis and fibroids and fibromyalgia and Crohn's disease and on and on. When you think about the number of reasons that women have painful sex to begin with um, and how often it's dismissed, it's not really surprising that this chronic pelvic floor contraction is a pretty common secondary condition. Yeah. And you're right that it's so commonly dismissed in the medical community when you have pain with intercourse. It's like, oh, well, more foreplay or, you know, it's it's very often just hush, hush, move on. We're not really talking about that. We're not necessarily trained in that. And we don't even know who to send you to, to have a proper evaluation, which you know, I've talked about pelvic floor therapy a million times on the podcast, but that's a really great resource for a lot of things coming when it relates to painful intercourse 
no matter what the cause is. Absolutely. We love our pelvic floor physical therapists. They're such great people and there aren't enough of them and they're booked out, right? But, and there, there may not be one in your zip code, but keep looking and keep asking because it, it's an important and growing area of women's health. It really is. I know like in other countries, pelvic floor therapy after childbirth is required for insurance to cover. And here in the States, I presume you're in the States, right? We are, yeah. We're a U.S.-based company. So, you know, it's not required here. It's not even available. And I think that most insurance companies, I mean, we won't go down the insurance uh, I know, I know. rabbit hole, but... Physical therapy is not covered the way it should be in the United States. It's, all the incentives are upside down. But we do have a, a lot of pa- patients that use their FSA dollars for both Millie, our product, and for PT. But, you know, you have to have the dollars in the first place. So there's a real health, health equity issue there. There is. How do you treat vaginismus? Well, our indication, so maybe some folks in the audience might not realize that when you get FDA clearance, it's actually for marketing authorization. It's the way you talk about the product that you got FDA clearance for, not the product itself. Kind of interesting. So we actually don't treat vaginismus. We help relieve the symptoms of vaginismus. So the symptoms of vaginismus that we would help relieve would be painful intercourse, and and the associated anxiety that's around vaginismus. Yeah. But you know, what's interesting is the standard of care before our product, maybe I could talk a little bit about what the product is. So the standard of care for patients with vaginismus really was born in like the 1800s. And it's essentially a set of dildos. And so the patients are asked to jam different sizes in to try to crank the tissue back open. And it's kind of a forced entry, really, in a way. And the patients, I know there's a few issues that patients don't like about them. I mean, first of all, they're embarrassing looking. It really does look like a pile of sex toys to the untrained eye. And so that's they're not very discreet. You know, where are you storing those? Are you putting, are they in your bedside table? Are they in your bathroom? Washing them. There's all of that. And then there's also that there's a jump in sizes between them. So you might get used to nine millimeters, but the next size up is 15 millimeters, you know, that six centimeter jump and six millimeter jump can hurt people. And so it really is a bit of an antiquated, and I, I, I should point out, I'm not the founder of Materna. I, I joined Materna to take these products from the founder to the patients that need them. And I was very surprised when I learned about vaginismus and static dilators as a med tech engineer absolutely shocked of all the things that we can do from heart pumps to imaging to precision medicine. And like, this is what we've got for patients who have pain and anxiety about wanted penetration. So Millie is the only expanding dilator. And so it goes into and expands inside the anatomy. So it's a single insertion for treatment. Essentially, I guess you could say it's used at home in, you know, I can't say it is physical therapy, but it is a practice at home called vaginal dilation. And the patient inserts the the milli about the size of your pinky. And then inside the anatomy, milli expands one millimeter at a time at the patient's discretion. Pace, it also has optional vibration. We don't have any marketing authorization specifically about the vibration, but patients usually know what to do with it. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about how this is controlled. Is this something that you control like via remote or how do you expand the dilator? 
Yeah. So it has a hand, so it just has a handle. It's not remote. So you have to hold it, but it's offset so that it doesn't touch the urethra. And as you, as you're, so if you're right-handed or left-handed, the controls are going to be on one side or the other. The wand is inserted inside the vagina and then you just press up or down and vibrate to low and vibrate high and turn it off. It's very straightforward to use. And it has a nice, it has a readout, an LED readout. So you can track your progress. So you know what size you got to, and you can share that if you have a clinician that's working with you. We found that our clinicians really like that feature that they can share goals. Like, so if you got to 13 today, can you get to 14 next time? And it's just, a, it's a millimeter. So it, it seems like more, I think patients find the readout to be helpful that way. Yeah. Yeah. Know how you're doing and how your body's responding and noticing the difference from day to day. And that some days you may, I don't want to say how go backwards in progress, but maybe your progress isn't as aggressive as it was some other days, just maybe based on everything that's good, right? Based on life, right? You know, and I'd love, I would love it if life were more linear, (laughs) but as try as I can to control it, it just doesn't seem to always bend to my will. (laughs) Yeah. So how do you use a vaginal dilator? Well, so in our instructions for use, we recommend that people get comfortable, find a private place. So a lot of folks use their bedroom and you just get, you lie down. Although some, some people find different positions to be helpful. We also find some of our patients use Millie as preparation for sex. So dilating right before you're trying to have penetrative intercourse. And then if the partner's involved, I think also people find that that's helpful, that as we are hiding this issue, pretending like it's not there or the partner's kind of locked out, it can be challenging. Now, everybody's got a different relationship. So, and I'm not in the business of giving out medical advice, but dilation is pretty straightforward, especially with Millie. It it comes in a USB case. So open, insert, dilate to whatever you can, and then go back down, wash it and put it away. We recommend a range of frequency. So some people might want to dilate a few times a week. Maybe some people don't want as as much as that. Five minutes, 20 minutes, people are different. Everybody's different. And the whole idea behind what we're trying to do is to empower our patients to know, to listen to their bodies and give their bodies what they need at their discretion. Yeah. And I think too, if you're working with a clinician, they may have a little bit more specific regimen that they recommend, but I love that you empower, empower people to listen to their bodies. Cause I think that that's, that is really important that if your body is a no, then listen to that. If your body is like, oh yeah, today I am good to go. Listen to that, but don't force it because especially I think for individuals who have vaginismus, that forced entry is not helping anything. I agree with you completely. I think that it's all about listening and relaxing and trusting. And that starts with trusting yourself. Mm. Yes, it does. Yes, it does. So I'm curious, like with vaginal dilators, I was going to mention that I actually recommend them for patients of mine. I work in infertility and a lot of times we're doing speculum exams which for people who have pain with intercourse or pain with penetration, or a lot of times same-sex couples, those are individuals who I recommend a vaginal dilator kit to because we are doing so many speculum exams throughout their treatment 
that it can help with that experience for them as well. Do you recommend using your dilator with a lubricant or how do you recommend preparing the body for use? Yeah. Well, so Millie is covered in silicone. So we recommend water-based lubricants for our product. And I think, you know, depending on what the other, you know, the static dilators, what their materials are, that that can vary. But I do think generally that folks who have painful intercourse do benefit from lubrication. And there's some really great products out there. I mean, we're, we don't favor any particular one, but they're just really, I think on the topic of listening to your body, knowing that sometimes you might need more lubrication is an important point. Well, and you know, there's studies that show that 80% of women prefer sex with a lubricant. And it just proves the fact that like lubricant, try it. You may decide that you don't like it, but there's an 80% chance that your experience (laughs) would be beneficial when you use it. Great point. I'd love to hear how you talk about how you, because you're actually qualified to give medical device, <laughs> advice in a way that I'm not. You know, how do you, what, what are your tips and tricks to, to dilator usage? So this podcast is educational. Uh, so <laughs> disclaimer there, it's more education than actual medical advice. However, with vaginal dilators, I don't give too many specifics because I'm not in like pelvic floor therapy. I would honestly refer over to pelvic floor therapy for true regimens or specifics, but it is something that I recommend as a option to try for painful intercourse, pain with insertion of any sort. Well, I think it's so important that you're shining a light on the issue anyway and giving people a place to talk because I think it has to start there. And for listeners who are looking to find someone, because often it happens to people that they talk to their doctor and their doctor actually hasn't been educated about this and not through any fault of their own. This really, there's not, there hasn't been enough funding or research. There's not enough of anything for the OBGYNs in particular to really have the time and space to talk about it. So they may end up getting dismissed or getting weird advice. So we, as a service to our community, keep a map of clinicians and you can put in your zip code. If you go to our website at millieforher.com, the, you know, you can just find out the closest clinician who already understands your issue. And we don't get any money for that. Like we don't, that's not our business. We're really just trying to serve our patients and helping them connect with clinicians who have taken the time to research and study what this is outside of whatever their medical training was. There's some really great public care PTs in that group as well. It's not just OBGYN. And it's growing, it's growing every day. I mean, I would say every day we get new clinicians joining, finding us, Googling us and joining that, that, that community. And so we're expanding. We just raised a big round of cash this last year and are expanding our clinical education program in particular, which is, I think, just going to be crucial to really serving this group. Yeah, it's so important. And as a clinician, this is not something we talked about in school. Women's health was a small portion of what we learned in school, and it was just kind of zoomed over. And so providers have to go find this information on their own to serve the community. And if it's not an area of special interest, a lot of times they just don't know. And we don't know what we don't know. And the other thing that I was going to mention about like pelvic dilators from like an educational standpoint for patients, something that I mention if they do mention that penetration is or insertion is difficult, 
I educate them on when you do have a pelvic exam or when you go for your regular pap smear, there are different sizes of speculums. And sometimes you need to ask for the smaller speculum if your provider doesn't say something. Generally, as a clinician, we go for the regular size. And then if we find that that's pretty uncomfortable or they're in a lot of pain, we would switch to the small one. Or if they're teens, a lot of times we're starting with the smaller speculum. But if you know that that's painful for you, that is something that you can ask for when you are seeing a provider. And if your provider doesn't know that there are different sizes or they don't offer that, it may be an appropriate time to decline treatment and seek another provider or inquire more questions. Absolutely. Empowering people. Oh, I love it. Great point. Yeah. I'm not saying like I've done some episodes about like not doctor shopping, but finding the right clinician for you and advocating for yourself, especially as women. You know, so many times we are dismissed, our health concerns are dismissed and we have to advocate for ourselves. And what we're finding is that speaking of practice differences, so I think it would be a typical OBGYN archetype, just avatar, nobody in particular, but it, but their number one issue is burnout, right? There, there aren't enough OBGYNs in the United States and they're, they just don't have a lot of time. They have what, eight to 10 minutes with a patient. This particular issue, vaginismus, is often wrapped up in a bunch of other stuff, right? Whether it's menopause or cancer or sexual assault or childbirth recovery, I mean, a lot of things. And endometriosis patients suffer for a long time. So there's really, it can be an emotional piece by the time it's, you're at the doctor. And my vision is, our vision at Materna is that this is not, it doesn't have to go on so long. It doesn't have to get so chronic and entrenched that people can realize quickly, like, oh, I think there's a thing here. I think I might have that thing I heard about on that podcast. You get a milli and you get back in the saddle as it were, you know, but we've got some work to do between now and then. What we find is that the OBGYN may not have time to really unpack all of that with the patient. But what we see that they're doing with their practices is they're building out knowledge in this clinical education with their nurse practitioners, their nurse practitioners or their PAs who have a little bit more time and it's all billable time for the clinical clinical practice, but it's all about the knowledge and knowing how to handle these cases. And so we've collaborated with a number of these clinicians this year to publish white papers and get out some practice guidelines that are not ours. They're case studies, really, I would call it more, you know, this, if you end up with this kind of patient, here's how I handled it. And I think it's just so important to be taking those clinicians who are leaders in their space and have taken the time to go to the workshops and develop the research and getting it to the patients that need to hear it and other clinicians who are trying to take better care of their patients as well. Yeah, I love that. What type of success rates are you seeing or relief, I guess, since we are not, your product is not a treatment, it's a symptomatic relief. What type of results do you see? Like what type of improvement? Well, we have some published survey data in the North American Menopause Society. It was a survey that was done a few years ago and had about, mm, I think that one had about 180 patients and they were Millie trainer users. So this was before we had FDA clearance. So it's a little bit tricky to talk about, but it is, in, it is publicly available information. And what we saw was that Patients did report pretty significant pain and anxiety reduction of the patients that 
wanted to return to intercourse. Not everybody has that as a goal, but of the patients that wanted to, 86% were able to do so within six months. That's awesome. And on average, I think they were all suffering for three to four years before that. So these things can, this really goes on, can go on for a long time, not being treated. And just anecdotally, I'll say is in speaking with people who have vaginismus, they often didn't think that just gets me up every day and gets me so excited to talk to people like you, Jordan, is that they all think they're the only ones and there's millions of them. So much work to do. I was literally just thinking about that, how unless you know that there is a diagnosis or that this exists, a lot of times we're not having conversations about it. Therefore, you wouldn't even know that it shouldn't be painful with sex. Because when you look at porn, when you look at kind of a lot of the education that we're given growing up, sex is supposed to be painful. You're supposed to bleed on the first time. All of these things are supposed to happen. And so we have this in our head. Well, that's normal when it actually doesn't have to be normal for you. But if you just don't know any better, you don't know any better. Absolutely. And it's, I love that the popular media is grabbing this, that I think the show Unorthodox on, on Netflix. So vaginismus is, I don't have any stats I can quote on this, but I would say anecdotally that vaginismus is not uncommon among people of any kind of Orthodox religion. So if a woman decides she's going to go to college and maybe finish her PhD before she gets married, and then she gets married and has sex with, tries to have sex for the first time, it would be normal for her to have a chronically contracted pelvic floor, especially if she grew up in any kind of religion that tends to sit, have women be impure if they're sexually active, right? And there are a few religions that do that. So then all of a sudden, these patients, these folks are trying to go from I will not even discuss anything below the waist. That doesn't even exist. I am not that at all to suddenly trying to be sexually active. It, what we are finding is that the body does not always work that way. (laughs) So vaginismus can certainly turn up in those situations. So unorthodox has some, some themes of vaginismus in it. and, And I like that it's getting out there and the show sex education also has a vaginismus patient and you see the frustration Like I think patients ask themselves, what's wrong with me? Why won't my vagina let this thing in? Right. When my mind wants this, my body doesn't. Anyway, it's, it is. And I think most of our clinicians would agree. It is a mind body condition. Like most things in physical therapy, I go to physical therapy for my neck. It's very helpful. It's like remembering to consciously relax. Yeah. You brought up the whole concept of abstinence until marriage. And I actually did a whole podcast about this and how you don't just wake up all of a sudden and the your whole life you've grown up that there's a lot of shame and stigma behind sex. And then you get married and all of a sudden that switch is supposed to flip. And so there is a huge psychological component that can show up and that has an impact on vaginismus. So I'm so glad that you brought that up because I've done a whole podcast about that too. Oh, I'm so glad. Thank you for your leadership. So I'm curious too, you know, you had mentioned that a lot of clinicians, especially OBGYNs, don't have a lot of time. Do you find that individuals who have vaginismus would benefit from working with a sex coach in conjunction with other treatment or symptomatic modalities? Oh, absolutely. (laughs) 
Absolutely. Because it's, you know, one of the things I love about working in women's health is that it touches on the social fabric of our lives in ways that nothing I've ever done before. When I was doing orthopedics, it just wasn't, it didn't touch on so many things the way women's health does. And, you know, I think vaginismus itself is essentially a, a chronically contracted muscle group, right? I mean, that's really what it is, but it also has this anxiety piece. And the anxiety piece, I think, is something that, that sex coaches could be very, very helpful with. Also, not everybody's in a relationship where it's going to be as fruitful without some help, right? And I not, I don't want to be overly antagonistic about any of that. It's just there, there are relationship issues where sometimes the patient's unlikely to get better from vaginismus, depending on how that's structured. And so I think sex coaches can also help with some of that. What, what are your thoughts about that? I'm obviously biased, but I do <laughs> think that treating the psychological side as well is so important and the support for going through this and helping you explore other ways to relax through like breath work or through other modalities that are non-traditional, non-Western medicine type modalities can be so beneficial for a lot of women who are experiencing vaginismus or other types of dyspareunia. Well, I mean, just my perspective on the way sex is shown in the media from fashion to porn and everything in between, it's not really told through the lens of women's pleasure, right? And so it's told through the lens of women sort of acting like they're pleased <laughs> or sometimes not even, sometimes much more aggressive than that. And to and if that's where women are trying to learn how to enjoy themselves, I'm not sure that's the most productive place. And so if you are fortunate to have a partner who can help with all of that, great. But if not, you should definitely go find a sex coach because there's a lot of joy out there available. It's not all about avoiding pain. I mean, that's really what we're working on at Materna. But boy, there's a lot of joy and pleasure out there that women have every right to have. Yeah. And pleasure can look different for all of us as well. And discovering what is pleasurable for you is really helpful. And for some people that may not include penetration. And in the interim too, working with a sex coach can help you find other ways to have pleasure, especially if you're partnered, have pleasurable experiences with your partner that doesn't include penetration while you are working through this so that you can continue to I don't want to say maintain, but it can cause a lot of relationship issues if you are not having penetrative sex for some couples. And so having other ways and tools in your toolbox to have pleasurable experiences together and intimacy together can be really helpful while you are recovering, healing, you know, healing. Yeah. Responding, finding your, your own agency. Yeah. So, you know, speaking of this, like, it, like I said, it can have a lot of impact on relationships. It can make penetrative sex very difficult and avoided. And you have all of the anxiety associated with that. If somebody's listening and they have a partner, what are some ways that that partner can help support them while they are healing? Well, we've got some blog posts on our website, millieforher.com. So there are a couple of posts on how to talk to your partner. Generally, I would say 
less is more from the partner standpoint, you know, any kind of pushing or whether it's push, verbal pushing, emotional pushing, physical pushing, it's going to be counterproductive for vaginismus. Vaginismus is all about relaxing and allowing. And nobody does that with any part of their body while they're being pushed. Right. So I think that's probably the bottom line. And I know that that can sound confusing. What's a person with a penis to do? But I think that's where your points about sex coaching and learning other ways of being together. And what we find is that a lot of our patients do really like to use Millie with their partner, that there's some collaboration there and figuring out just who gets to push the button. Something as simple as that. I think those kinds of conversations can be really fruitful in terms of empowerment and engagement. Yeah. I think the other thing that I would add to that is that compassion and understanding in that compassion and understanding to what your partner is experiencing, I think is so beneficial as well. And that can help them while they are healing. If they're not feeling pressured, you're being supportive of their journey and what they are trying to do as a couple or as a unit, I think is really beneficial too. Absolutely. Absolutely. And if you ever get lost, you know, love is always the right answer. Loving yourself exactly the way you are and loving your partner exactly the way they are. It's an easy thing to say. Sometimes it's hard to do, but it's always, always the right direction. Yes. I love that quote. I'm going to have to write that down. So I'm curious if the listeners take one thing away from today's conversation, what would you want that to be? Pain with penetration is common, but it is not something you should accept. That there is help, and I'd love for people to go to Millie.com, and we've got some great educational resources, and just see what you learn. If any of these primary conditions that we've talked about that can lead to secondary vaginismus resonate for you, like, oh, I didn't realize that that could happen, you know, listen to that inner voice and take care of yourself. Yes. I love that advice. Definitely check out their website to learn more about the product and check out the blog for additional support. And yeah, this has been super educational and great, great conversation. So thank you so much for chatting with me today. Yeah. Thank you. It's a pleasure. This podcast is sponsored by Intimacy Coaching by Jordan Donnell. Have you ever desired more from your sex life or feel like you're having good sex but curious about how to make it even better? Are you desiring a deeper intimate connection with yourself? Or maybe you are dealing with desire and arousal concerns or struggling with communicating your desires with your partner. If you're hearing this and thinking, hmm, that might be me and you're curious to learn a bit more, let's chat. I would love to talk with you more to see if working with me is a good fit for you. To learn more about intimacy coaching with Jordan Denell, go to coaching.jordandenell.com. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Thank you for joining today and continuing to bring awareness to women's health. If you love the show, please subscribe so you never miss another episode and leave a review for others to see. If you want to see me on the daily, you can check out my bio for links to all my pages. Be sure to share this episode with your girlfriends. Thanks again and see you next episode.